Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back. It is so exciting to be here. I'd like to start off with wishing a big mazel tov to our guest today, Yosef Tauber, on the birth of his twins. I am so excited that we have this three-part series that is already expanding into a bigger series because next week we have a rebuttal slash tearing apart potentially the episode that came out first. So stay tuned for that. As always, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you reaching out and sending me all this feedback, participating on the chat. Thankfully, it has been a little more quiet since I've been on maternity leave. So thank you for respecting my space. But I'm excited to be jumping in soon and recording new episodes and keeping it fresh. So keep reaching out with your great ideas. Keep reaching out and participating in these conversations and helping them develop and continue. So if you enjoy The Francisca Show, check out the backlog of episodes on this show. Also, tell a friend. You can go onto your podcast app, leave us a review. Now, if you're someone who just can't get enough, check out the other podcasts, awesome podcasts on the Jewish Coffee House Network. You have Intimate Judaism and Orthodox Conundrum, a weekly podcast, Chochmat Nashim, and Let My People Eat. Check them out as well. Rate them, review them, and share about them with your friends and family. Now, just a strange request in case you're not listening and you tune out for these announcements at the beginning of every episode. If you don't enjoy the show, but you listen to it, reach out as well. I love hearing your feedback. Some of the best episodes or more interesting episodes come about from people who are complaining or unhappy with the stuff on this podcast. So (laughs) I challenge you. And of course, I would like to take a moment just to acknowledge and think about 9-11, a day that still brings up so much fear, trauma, sadness for so many of us. Let's get started. Welcome to the Francisca Show, everyone. I am excited to welcome our guest today, Yassi Tauber. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. It's very in style and hot to talk about women's issues and women's topics and how hard it is for women. And there are so many things that have been neglected over the years and decades and centuries. However, men also struggle and have topics and issues that come up for them, especially when it comes to Judaism and personal things that aren't necessarily discussed in public. So we're here today to talk about the real, the raw, and we're focusing on the men's perspective. So thank you so much, Yassi, for joining us today and being open and talking about the things so many of our audience has been requesting, but not willing to come and share and talk. So thank you. You're welcome. We'll start with the biggest topic. So Part of what inspired this conversation has been a lot of conversations on the WhatsApp discussion group where we try to differentiate between what's the responsibility of the men and what's the responsibility of the woman. And a lot of the education and messaging in the more ultra-Orthodox communities for women, it is being sneeze, being inhibited or protecting the men. So to not put a stumbling block in front of the men and to protect the men and a lot of the more modern ideas around this, the women don't like it because it's men need to, I feel like I'm saying everything. I just want to ask the question. No, so no problem. I think I'm getting it now. So definitely 
the short answer is yes, men do have to work on themselves. It's, it has clearly guidelines for how men are supposed to conduct themselves around women specifically. It goes through various different things, girls, married women, talking to them, handing over things. Shukhmurik specifically sets guidelines on how a man is supposed to act in these situations. Interestingly enough, in the same section where it discusses the man's obligation, there's seven little chapters. The second one doesn't talk to men. It talks, it actually talks to women. I found it interesting. And there it addresses women shouldn't run. I'm sure the Shalina McLean have discussed what running means. I'm not here to ask, and I'm just trying to repeat how it says women shouldn't run on the street. Side the married women and also the girls were not talking about a little girl who could run and have fun. But so I found it interesting and I asked myself, why does that come in in between the discussion of, of the man's obligation? I can't say this is the halukha, but I would say that yes, men do have obligations and men cannot conduct themselves however they want around women or flirt and whatever. It says clearly what a man can and can't do. But at the same time, it does mention that women can be running around in the street. Whatever running means, but the concept, it has to go hand in hand. Men and women have to try to work on themselves to get there. It's not easy, but it should be a goal to get there to a serious level, side the man, side the woman, to conduct themselves in the way Shulchan intended men and women to conduct themselves in every setting. Different communities have different standards. And we talked about this on our pre-call where you have more insular communities where there's less exposure, there potentially is a more radical response to people it doesn't work for. So for example, is the limited exposure slash shelteredness, is that helping the people today or is it hurting? The, I believe that the sheltering started around 100 years ago in Europe in the times of the Askula and people were struggling to, to stay in the, whatever, the kosher, let's call it the kosher lane. So they try to create this insular situation where nobody gets exposed to anything. And actually, there was then a huge guru. His name was Shamsner Fulhersh. Everybody, even the little speak about him. He actually said that some issues might come out of it. He said specifically, the issue was they vetted Rebbeim and boys' schools. They, they set up a, a new thing that they have to vet to make sure that he is with the proper scope and not a masculine. And he said there might be a, a time where Haskula is not a thing anymore, and they're still going to vet the Rebbeim to this, and it's going to create essentially what we have now, Moises, where they hire another father hires. Essentially, he said there might be that issue. Could you explain it? In Europe, pre-war, there were a lot of pogroms in those days where they were lynched in, in Europe, and Jews, different people tried to create this thing. We're the same. We're going to dress like the blind, so they'll hate us less. The Khsan said and other big Gedolim were very against it. And they said that you act like a go in the street, your kids will end up acting like you go at home. And they created this culture where exposure was a bad thing. And it worked. If you go back to those days, it had to happen. They enforced it and it worked. We're only here probably because of those things they implemented in those days. Well, if we look into the 
close-knit type communities where there are no Shabbos going on the street. There, there are no Goyim that live, neighbors that live there, especially there are no modern Orthodox, there are no literature people. There's only, even in the literature community, there's only literature people. I don't see that they don't have this issue of people going up to data or choosing a different data. It doesn't work. If it would work, they would have a like zero to none rate of people looking elsewhere. Factually, they might have even a bigger rate of people leaving their communities. So it doesn't work anymore. Modern Orthodox does have a large number of people not continuing to be modern Orthodox. There are people who go to the right, people who go to the left. Back to our conversation. Thanks for explaining that. Up until those days, the parents would hire a teacher, a Rebbe. So then in those days, they had to make sure that parents don't hire a Moscow, meaning one of the people that put in these thoughts to the kids that they should act a certain way on the street. So they implemented this thing that you have to hire a Rebbe that we approve of. So even then, the, the Gedolim were smart enough and they knew that something might come out of it. Essentially, a culture that we have now where there's like a hierarchy of who could teach who and what could be said, and which is not working anymore. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. We'll backtrack a little bit. I grew up in Barra Park and I went to pretty neutral yeshiva. I went to the mayor, got married a month, five years ago. So you got married knowing you're going to start working right away? You learned for a year? So no, I was working already a few weeks before I got engaged. What were you doing? I was working in a warehouse. You have this position as a gabai. Could you talk about that a little bit? Oh, they don't want to. Today I'm close to one of the Dayunam a month where I handle his volume or nothing to take him from wherever he needs to go. And that's a volunteer position? Somewhat. No, I get something for it. And the rabbi is a controversial rabbi, right? It's some, yes. Okay, can you tell us why? My question ultimately is, how are you sitting here in front of me talking to me on a podcast and you're not even anonymous? When most Hasidish men and women, potential guests I tried to invite, tell me there's no way in the world they'll ever speak on a podcast. Part of our culture is to be secluded and not to talk about what goes on. And this is not something we do. So the question here is why? I just felt like it's the right thing to do. I don't see why not. People want to hear something and it's it's according to not against or any Ashkopa. I don't see why not. And of course, I discussed it with my run and I asked them if I could do this and he was a little like, well, no, you not Let's talk about some of the issues or challenges that are unique to the Hasidic community, to the more ultra-Orthodox community. So this could technically also include some of the Yeshivish, Litvish communities. What are some of the more prevalent issues and maybe where you disagree on how they're being handled or how leadership is handling them? I don't know. Are we talking about Smias again? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of women are frustrated that everything falls onto them and they and we just addressed that a little earlier. But there's this obsession or there is it says in one place it's, it's cited in one place that Zara Lavatala is an issue. And it seems like the communities have created a culture all about that. That's everything is created the separate hours, separate seating, just all the gendered segregation throughout the entire life cycle is basically surrounded around this. 
which creates a lot of over-sexualization on women, a lot of pressures on women, and a lot of women can't handle it or are not interested in it. So I'd like to talk about the male experience of it and maybe what is it that women don't know that maybe we should know and, and what's it actually like? Why is it that important to focus on an ideal that's so impossible to reach when we could technically live by other mottos like Tamla Torah connected Kulam, which the Litvish community focuses on Kolel for the rest of your life, or okay. any other thing that we could potentially all be focusing on. So first of all, I, I truly believe it's mentioned more than one time. And I just saw today, I prepared a little and I saw a Rasha where it says, not easy, not light things on it. And it's not just a nice thing to do. We'll get to that. First of all, I, I want to discuss, the same thing goes with Sneas, we discussed it a little bit earlier. The way it's taught is with a lot of things that are taught, especially this area, it's taught in a way where right off the bat, again, these conversations, the topics of Zidlavatula by the men and Sneas by the women, they start usually at the ages, let's say, between 12, 10 and 15, 12 and 17. That's usually where teachers schools and rebellion and shivas, that's when they'll discuss it. Unfortunately, we know that at that time, a huge percentage of girls and boys are taking already, were already taken advantage of, and this topic doesn't necessarily speak to them in, in, in the right manner. Meaning if someone will discuss Sneas to a girl that unfortunately went through an abuse or a trauma, they already failed. Right. They, their mind is out. Their mind is gone. Their mind is not receptive. It's not just receptive. Their mind matured already. They're somewhere else. They already failed. A boy, if this is discussed in the room with 25, 50 tell me them. And there's at that time, probably 10 boys that already went through something. And, and it's discussed that it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. The teacher, the, the Rebbe, the Magachir says the worst thing in the world. They're already in the worst category. So they don't have a chance. Most kids aren't abused. Let's talk no. about the children who are healthy in terms of their but, but can We want to discuss the entire, right? Unfortunately, a lot of kids are abused. A lot of them, a lot of the ones that are, don't even know it. If you Google the, what goes into the, some of the abuse happens before they can even remember. Some of it is in situations where people don't think that, people think the, only cases that could potentially go to court are cases that fall under the title abuse or trauma. Not always. Sometimes it could be different situations. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to discuss every single scenario. But the point is, a lot of kids are sitting in that room and it doesn't anymore apply. They can't reach that level that the teacher is discussing. They already fail. They already feel like they can't. Or even by girl, let's say the elbow covering, yeah, maybe their mother doesn't cover their elbow. So the teacher says covering the elbow is the worst, right? Not covering the elbow is the worst thing. And she already, oh, I don't know, my mother is not the worst. But it's not, I, don't, I really believe that the way it's taught is not taught in a way where all children, all kids could easily take it on. Okay, now let's go back to the question. Regarding Zedlava specifically, it's a 99.99% of the men struggle with it. 
It's true. Everybody struggles with it. There is no such a thing. Someone would say they're the 0.001% that doesn't struggle with it, but that doesn't make it okay. It does. Let me give a little uh, muscle. Everybody knows, nobody will say that selling a sibling as a slave to Egyptians is a good thing, right? The Shutam did that to their brother Yasser. They sold their brother to Egyptians and they made a big mistake. Nobody says that they did the right thing. There's no such a Nakar. They didn't do the right thing. They did a very terrible thing. They sold their brother to Egyptians as a slave and they weren't less. They got punished, sure, but they weren't treated as less of Shutam. Yaakov treated them equally, Hashem treated them equally. The Levia, the Kahanam, they come out of Laivi, not out of Rivo, the Yomans, that come out of one of the brothers that took part just like the others, doesn't come out of Yasso, the one that suffered. The point that I'm trying to make is something could be bad, yet you don't lose, you don't get degraded because of it, and you don't have to repeat it. Does that make sense? Let's say you go to a therapist, a non-Jewish therapist or a secular therapist, non-firm therapist. They'll tell you this is normal. It's healthy. And what's unhealthy is thinking you're an addict, living with a lot of shame and guilt that's eating into your psyche. And that turns you into an OCD person about every other halacha because you think you're going to Gehenna. Right. So 100%. That, those are very terrible things. And people that, again, back to where we were, if it's a an addiction, if someone struggles with it on a routine basis, addiction doesn't mean every single day or every single hour on a routine basis. If it's every single time they do a certain thing, so everything, if it happens every time they play baseball or something, yeah, that's called an addiction. That could be helped. Usually people that have addictions to anything, to gambling, it comes from something that was, something is off there. Okay, so the same thing, the same way someone that's drunk, someone that's addicted to alcohol, it usually comes from, let's say, anxiety. Someone that's addicted to pornography or to Zilavatula, whatever it is, usually, I can't say all the time, I didn't do a study, but usually it comes from a trauma. Let me rephrase that. Someone may think they are an addict, even if they are, medically speaking, not an addict, because in their head, it's something they should be able to avoid ever because it's so horrible and it's so right. bad. So that's what I was trying to bring out that it could be bad. It could be a thing that is very bad, shouldn't be repeated again, but you'd not less. A person has to know, all the Hasidishes would talk about it. A person has to know that if they fell through, they, the whole avoid is to continue as if it didn't happen. Not that I could do it again. But it didn't happen. I have to go daven. I have to learn. I'm the same by Hashem, by Yaakov Avim, Hashem. The same thing as I said earlier. You're not on a lower level. But let's discuss why does a person feel like they're on a lower level. Because doing that kills a person's self-esteem. If I would tell any man or even a woman, here is a gift card for a romantic dinner. You could go by yourself. Who would go? It's not something you do by yourself. The same thing, you're not going to go on a roller coaster by yourself. It's something that you're supposed to do with someone else. And a lot of the struggles come from shalom bias. person should sometimes, the first step to fix this is to work on shalom bias. person could work on their shalom bias. It's not easy, but 
There are methods, there are great Shumabayas teaching their coaches at Mahalchem, and definitely that will help. And then you could go for the romantic dinner together. On the podcast, we talked about the female experience of mikvah and nida. What are some of the things you can share from the male experience? Because yeah, you could work on Shalom Bias and you can do all of that. But what's it like for the man when the men don't have the cycles, but they have to work with women and it's not always available to them. And we've had on our infidelity episode how the husband basically was gaslighting the wife and saying, you need to get a header to not keep Taras Meshbacha because that's why I'm going out to strip clubs and to escort services. And this is your fault and go get a header. And instead, she got advice to get a divorce. There might be something behind that, why he feels for me to always get some. But the whole concept of keeping Taras Meshbacha is for the excitement for after when the wife comes home after two weeks. There is a renewed excitement, like the, it's like a kala comes home the first night, because the kala come home. That's the most beautiful thing, I think, in, in Yiddish guide. There is another issue, I believe, that I myself I want to address about mikvah for women. I know it's very hard for a lot of women to go to the mikvah because of, they feel a little traumatized or exposed. I think women could ask their dire if someone has to be there or if someone has to check them. It's not so clear that you have to have someone to make sure there's no chatzitza or someone to make sure that you total. Yeah, we did an episode on could, that. I highly recommend uh, okay. checking that out. To A lot of women were very happy with that because it gave them understanding of what their rights are and what the obligations of the mikvah attendants are. Yeah, We'd like to hear more about the males' the challenges male and perspective. Yeah. All I could come up with is that definitely it's hard and definitely working on the relationship, getting to a level where there's a good unison between the couple will definitely make it much, much easier for sure to be able to get through the the weeks that she's not clean. And again, going through a strip club or any other form of self, whatever, it kills the self-esteem. It does. Person does not feel it. It's not because of shame or chasidusha stuff. It's true. A person feels very used after not keeping. What are some major or cultural differences between the Hasidish communities and Litvish communities when it comes to minhagim and chumras, especially around sexuality, the stuff that we don't know? publicly, meaning we obviously know we dress very differently because it's on the outside. We could see that the schools are different, speak different languages. But then when it comes to inside the home, there are different expectations and different menhagim. And I know communities take their menhagim very seriously. They're like halacha. Everybody, I don't know specifically and any specifics, but definitely people have, people are told differently. And it doesn't always work for everyone, but they shouldn't think that because they found out that it's not sure that everything isn't true. They should try to find a different, if they went to an inclusive teacher, a color teacher that told them wrong, they told them more chumras than halachas. They shouldn't think that it's all chumras. They should find a different color teacher that works for them and retake the entire thing because there are very important things 
that should not be broken. Some of the things could be nice things. It's based on Zoyer. It's... So give some examples. Because couples don't necessarily know the difference. And sometimes they never find out because they'll never talk about it. They don't have to find out. But everything is okay. They don't have to find out. <laughs> but when things aren't okay. They should go for a different approach, different diet. They should find a new diet. Someone that's not happy, they're dying. Should definitely try there. A lot of good Rishnak in the Yonam out there. And the way I tell people if they need a new dime, the best way to find one is if that person tunes in and asks a follow-up question like on a personal level. Someone has a problem in Shabbos, Shabbos or in the home, and they want to, uh, they're asking someone, the, the answer shouldn't be yes or no. The answer should be, how is it affecting you? If the dime tunes in, that usually is a good diet to, to keep. Otherwise, chances are you don't have to take a sack because we just gave you something textbook and it doesn't cater to you specifically. Do you have some examples of things that are chumras? Like, I'll think of some. We have the women shaving their hair right. after getting married. People talk about very limited sexual options because everything else is not kosher unless you get a heter. Okay, so... Before you come up, so let's discuss about shaving the hands. In Europe, it was much like a halucha, almost like some head in level. It was maybe even if someone now lives in Ukraine, they might need to do it. I'm not sure. They should ask their local rabbi. If someone lives in, it was called the Vab Arvarutsas. I don't know if you heard about it. They made a Vab of four countries, the biggest Gedoilam, and also connected to what we discussed earlier about the Haskula where they were trying to integrate with the culture. So they came up with this thing that women should shave their heads and that's how, and most likely it worked, it helped. But nowadays we live in America, America is not Europe, and it doesn't apply. Not only does it apply, the reason why they needed the Rab Arbarutus in those days is because it's against Halokha. It's a Zoyer, only a Zoyer that, again, saying it's only a Zoyer doesn't make it less. Zoyer is very important. But... From the Gemuda, it seems very clear from the Gemuda that women should not shave their heads. In Europe, it was very important, and they made this takuna. And in Europe, chances are that even nowadays, in these countries, that women might have to. But we're in America now, and we don't struggle with the same struggles we had then. Quite the opposite. We have the entire opposite struggle. So more women go off because of that. So... She definitely can't say it shouldn't be done for people that it works for them. Good for them. If it works, it works. So how did it start? Because women were going off and that was keeping them I from I can't going say off? women were going off. I can say the culture, something was in, in Europe. And there are other reasons also. There's a reason that the soldiers would come into town and, and rape the women. So in order to not make issues. That's... The best explanation I got so far. So that's oh. it. No, I heard about the mikla that you don't want to have chatzitzas if with the hair is in a knot. So you cut off the hair. You don't have to deal with that. <laughs> okay. Do you think it's an issue, especially today with access to the internet and just the access of information and knowledge that it's important to raise the more insular communities with more information and differentiating minhagim from halacha. And not just minhagim, but the takanos that were put in a hundred years ago 
versus if you look at more mainstream orthodoxy where it's kosher, not kosher. Right. And it's not black and white. I know that. But because people have access to more information, they can travel and you can go to New York City and you just have more exposure to other types of Jews and the whole world. Is there more openness and education around the different levels of keeping things? I think up until recently, there were no different levels. Everything was, as you said, kosher and not kosher. I do believe that my age and younger, they're already getting, I think I see a difference. They already are getting themselves educated and they try to find out what's what. From Torah perspective, of course, Torah should go to how Torah teaching should go to the next generation. That starts. First, you've learned the entire Hush for a few years, and then you've learned Mishnah. It goes down the entire. So basically, what's a Doiraisa and what's a Gravunan? And up until then, when they're maybe older, you could teach them the Manhugam and the Humras. Nowadays, in the big the inner communities and the bigger Oizdas, it's just one, either you do it or you don't. You could see that they're struggling with it because you have now, and I should drop other podcasts, but you have people discussing now that you're allowed to, what you're allowed to drink in a, in a Starbucks because you have. A lot of people just going into Starbucks and drinking and buying stuff. And there's immense halakhic ramifications. So just walking into a random store and people didn't know. So they just did because they caught, they just make their own conclusions. I'm not saying you can't go to a Starbucks and say there's information on what you can and can't. But mainstream education, right? The classic education that everyone's getting from their parents and their schools. I think the parents, they don't know the difference. I think parents don't know the difference between what's the halacha and what's the So everyone's self-educating about the differences of Shemir Salacha. Yeah, so. Yeah. I also wanted to ask about birth control. How does the Hasidish community address that? The Hasidish time tells you you can't have birth control. It's not a upset. You should definitely try to find a different diet. And it's not called hopping around to find a head because can't say that you don't need a hetter. That's not a dying, but I could say it shouldn't be that. Dying should ask for your situation. There should be. There, there are good that you know I'm out there being tuned to people's specific issues. And there are many different birth control options that are kosher and that are acceptable. And But do couples know that there is such a thing and that it's accessible to them? Because Maybe now they know. You should. If I don't. Then my question is that. the formal system. Uh, if the formal system discusses it. If your parents never teach you and your college teacher right. never teaches you and you find out after you had seven kids, right. thank you yeah, so much happened. for the information that wasn't so helpful. That, that, that definitely happened. Yeah, definitely happened. Do you criticize or have any tainas on the community for just not educating? It, it just basic, if you, if the textbooks, they rip out anything that can give you any information, education. And then you have an asifa against the internet. And then you just never get information. Yeah, I understand you have a chiyav to get all your information, self-educate. But if you ask any parent who spends money on educating their children for private Jewish day schools, they'll tell you, I would like the schools to teach my kids or at least the parents to be taught. Yeah, unfortunately, also- I'm not fully convinced that the big Moises are based on any major halacha. 
that's a soundbite, but I'm, I'm not convinced that they're basing their education on the simple, straightforward Shulchanurak. What does that mean? What are you saying? The, the things that they teach, the things that they don't teach, it's not based on any, it's based on the people they accept and the people they throw out, it's not based on halachic ruling. Culture has more priority than halacha. Unfortunately. Talk to me about your personal feelings around a community that you're technically criticizing. And, and the reason I feel like we get to criticize them right now on this episode is because they are limiting exposure to information. Meaning if it was any other community, that's like, go ahead, go on the internet, find everything out that you need. So we're not going to teach you anything. That's one thing. But when you say we're going to protect you and shelter you, and this is the right way to do things, but now you have no idea what the difference is between halakha, khumra, or a cultural, just your school's rule. They decided that if you have a lay shedal, you can't send your kids to our school. That's how the first sin happened. She was told not to touch it instead of not to eat from it. She touched it, nothing happened. And voila. Exactly true. You said it. the obligation to a person is, to, as we said earlier, to self-educate. And a person has to find out on his own what's right. How are they wrong. supposed to find out on their own if the girls aren't taught Chumash and you can't go on the internet can, and you can't leave your Dalaramos and right. you have... I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's ideal, but there's a good one that discusses a person that was on a, on an island by himself his entire life. Is he over on Shabbos or not? I'm not saying we pass him that way, but the concept, the ideology that we would have discussed is definitely the person has to educate themselves. I, there's no one there and he doesn't even know. I don't know. He should find a way. A person has to find out for himself. That's the difference between Noach and Avram Uvini. Why is Noach not Uvini? Noach kept all the mitzvahs. Why is he not considered one of our father? He saved us. Without him, there would be no world. Why is he not Uvini? It says Noach is like he was a simple man. He followed whatever he was told. That's what he followed. Avram Uvini was not that. Avram Uvini was a philosopher and he studied the entire astronomy and Everything. Then he went around and he lectured all over. He had lectured in every town where they would let him speak. And he made Belchivas and he went. That's called Uvini. That's essentially the person setting up the next generation of someone that self-educates, finds out things for himself. What everybody's doing now, listening to the podcast, that's self-education, going out and finding out the truth. And I'm not saying I'm the truth. I'm saying second yes me, look it up. I have no issue. But a person has the obligation to go out and not rely on, so they're not letting you, that's just like being on the islands. You still have to find out if it's true or not. Do you question everything you learn? Did you have a personal journey from your upbringing to being who you are today and having that more open-minded? So I ha- actually, I had a few people along the way that put in some hashkofa a mindset of how to look out and things. In my CV years, I didn't really get down to business much. I didn't finish or maybe help not start. A lot of curriculums discussed in Yeshiva, but throughout life, through the journey, I started learning specifically about Yomi because my friend lost the son and 
that told me, and so yeah, everybody's going through their journey. And at some point, you question yourself, am I doing enough? And there are a lot, a lot of great shit to listen to. There's fun that you and me share, and there's serious that you and me share, and there's a only five minutes a day, self educate on the basic alochas they're up to now. I think you're very basic stuff. And it's very important. Are you raising your children differently than you were raised? To some degree, being that I I have a parenting method, not to knock my parents at all, but I think it's very normal for people to have kids and not look into what's out there, the different options of parenting, and different options of People, they're not options, but different types of people. Nobody goes into a, a Cessna, into a little plane to just take off. There's no such a thing. Every person will do all the hours and all the readings and all the testing before they take off on a, on a jet. Are you referring right? to having babies? People have kids and they just, I said so. I don't think it's responsible. I really see that as an issue. And honestly, in a way, it could be a bigger issue than you described. First, we have to, we have an obligation to raise healthy kids. Then we have an obligation to raise Torah kids. So if we don't know what's a healthy parenting methods, who says you have the rights? Halakhically, if your cat breaks someone's window, and if your son breaks someone's window, who would have to pay? Would you have to pay for your cat, for your dog breaking the window, or would you have to pay for your son? I think outside of Yiddishkeit, a normal person would say a pet is a pet. I'm not responsible. A child is my child. I'm responsible, but it's the opposite. A pet is something you own. A child is not something you own. Not like that. We think that I find that as a big issue in the way people just, I, you know, I can ask my child to do anything. I can tell them to do anything because I'm the parents. I don't see where they take that from. I didn't find it from the Torah. Okay, could you give me some more examples of how you parent differently than you were raised? It doesn't oh. have to be in the home per se, but could it be culturally or decisions you make as a parent for your kids? Yeah, I saw. So first of all, I don't have kids in Moises, my youngest, this is my oldest, and youngest, so I have one child, two, four, five years old. Yeah, I preferably I wouldn't want to send to an inner community. Myself, it's difficult to say. Look, I find it hard, I'm hard on, on my heart to put my child through. I don't know. Look, so you wouldn't you send to the same of... schools that your sisters went to? Is that what you're saying? No. And they went to the good ones, I think. Tell me why. I don't see them having such a great education system. First of all, I don't see that their teachers have the same outlook. One will say one thing and the other will say a contradicting thing the same day. I find that you're supposed to have a hundred on your region so you can get a job. And then the next day, a different teacher comes in and says, a real Torah Steve, you're a teacher. So why do I have to have a hundred on my region? I'm going to become a teacher. You're not going to be able to be accepted in college if you don't graduate, but you shouldn't go to college because it's bad. So I find those These mixed things messages. Yeah. And what schools would you find? I want a school that teaches self-confidence and self-love and such curriculums. And there are such schools. 
in Muncie, I know of specifically one school that teaches an older grade, very healthy emotional curriculum. So I would say such a school, they also actually teach finance, which most schools don't. But I'm open to, to really lesser Hasidic schools as long as I have the clear to, to do the bulk of the education when they get home. Let's talk about some of the more positive parts of the Hasidic culture, which is the Shidduch system. It's very effective to the point where your whole focus in your life is do everything for the Shidduch so the Shidduch happens. What was your experience like? Did you actually get to date your wife? Or was it a show and an engagement? And then you basically married a stranger that you met a few times. Tell us more about that. I actually think that I knew what I was looking out for. I had not a checklist of this height from this color, this, that's not like that. I had a scofan and, and what I want to see in my future potential color wife. I did have two shows and one, as they call a debate. Can you explain both? The show would be in someone's house, sitting around, let's say, a dining room table. And discussion would be, let's say, an hour to two to and a half hours. With the parents present or without? Some, some of the parents are in the next room. Others, the parents are not there. Depends. Everybody has their own. What did you have? Yeah, most. Your show. I had one with and one without. On the parents were the next room, and the other one the parents were will be out of the house. Third one was we met in a hotel lobby, so it wasn't a it wasn't a date where I picked her up and uh, went out to eat or we met in the hotel lobby. We were there for a few hours, and then we drove home separately. So yeah, being marrying a stranger comment happens to be statistically that's the method that works. Meaning this method is. It's older than hundred years from the last deal. This method was hundreds of years old. And Yitzchak and Rivka. Eliezer picked her up. Yeah, I can't say it's a Masoid. I can't say it's thousands of years old, but it definitely I'm saying the method of Mishod, the method of marrying a stranger, quote unquote, is very old. I rec- uh, last week I think I spoke to an older person where someone asked him if it was different from his days and they just took two families. I was like, no, but same system, I'm going through now with my iNet look. I had the same thing. My parents had the same thing. It was read by Shatchan, and they did a little information, and then the boy and the girl went out. So, yeah, some will have the out only, they speak for an hour, and some will have more. Some have the shows, some have a few of the shows, and a few, as I said, the dates. But this method has proven to have the biggest success rates. You said you had two shows, one bidet. It was all with your wife. Yeah. Oh, if I had, you're asking if I had a different experience before, a different, if I went out with someone else. Sure. No, because originally when you said two bushels, I thought you met Not two. two. No, she's the second person I went out with the other one. Baruch Hashem, or unfortunately, I think Baruch Hashem, it didn't work out. So both are married. It's all, I don't know. You have to say that you're married. <laughs> Your wife's going to be listening to this. You felt like you could say no after the first person? There wasn't that pressure? I said no. Or maybe she said no. Maybe the parents said no because the parents are involved also. It doesn't matter. I think some people have a voice. Some people don't have a voice. And it doesn't always 
depend on the culture. A lot of depends on personality types. Some parents know trucks and the kids know. Maybe the kids Taka don't know. I know. I think every, yeah, I think every situation is different. If we're going to say that everybody has to have more than three bashos, then we're doing the same box, just taking the box here and putting it there. No, I the know. I'm box. asking about your personal experience. How did it work for you and how did it feel? I was older. I went through a lot of 20, I think 20, I think I turned 22, 21, I think 22. And normally uh, when I got engaged. your friends started 18, 19? Some, yeah. So yeah, I had very little single friends by the time I got engaged, but others took longer, unfortunately, but when I think all of them were married. Yeah, I, I changed my perspective when I was about 20, probably. I think I like, in a way, like gave up. But not in a depressing kind of way. Like, not happening now. I'm going to live my life. And as I said, I took a job and that's when that happens. So usually people are going to tell you that. Usually when you free yourself, that's the aura. When you let go, that's the aura you give out. And it's more attractive to other people. You start to learn. And why did you start dating later? Was it because? I didn't start. Nobody oh. wanted me. I don't know. Like, no, I'm wondering you, you if know. you had like your journey and... And no, I, they, I think I started being seriously interested at the age of 19. I think around that time is when I had my first show, and then nothing really serious happened until this one came about. Your first show, just describe it a little bit. Remember, <laughs> now my wife will like to tell me if I remember. No, we bonded on. You got to speak privately where both parents present. So it starts where the parents are present and then they leave the room awkwardly. They shuffle out and then the couple to be whatever potentially sits there and the discussion is supposed to strike. Yeah, we had, I think, an hour and a half maybe. They discussed random different things. Usually we try to keep it light. Nothing. Not how many kids are you planning to have and how are you going to name your kids? Nothing like that, just likes and don't likes. My wife asked me if I have a smartphone. What was the answer to that question? Yeah, I had a smartphone. She also had a smartphone. She's allowed to ask, I'm not. Uh No, I'm kidding. She asked me why I use it. That was the conversation. That that was the first show. Just hobbies and things like that. And after that, you both spoke to your parents and they asked if you wanted another show. Right. And then you had another show. Did the discussions go deeper or more interesting? Was there any connection happening besides for small talk at that point? It did go a little bit deeper, a little bit more family and things like that. Yeah, it, did, it went deeper. I messed up. I mentioned something that was like more out there than a typical word. So like what? You don't have to share if you don't want to. It was something in, in pop culture and... Now, I didn't so much have an issue knew about it. Just like I read the news, she read the news. She thought that Ukraine are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be both different, but they don't know these things. So she did some more research. She found a, a person that I look up to, a little older than me, who's a person, and spoke to him. And this guy told my wife that whatever you saw, that's what you're getting. If he, whatever he knows, he told you. Whatever he does, he told you. And it's not like there's more. This is just the surface. It was a conversation that came in and I brought it up. I didn't feel like it's, I didn't bring it up in the way that I was into pop culture. It was more like in the marketing, the way I looked at it. And then we had our debates. The hotel thing. And at that point, were you talking about marriage or like that leading to an engagement? No, we didn't just 
cost of meeting to an engagement. I really didn't know how many times my wife wants to go out. So we didn't discuss specifically marriage, but we discussed like the typical procedure question on the third date and like on the second for people that get serious man, like where the, the, the girl would ask the boy, where are you finding to send your kids? So that makes it like more quote unquote official that they're getting serious. Yeah, we discussed a lot of different topics, ideologies. Was there an emotional connection at that point or not at all? It was very transactional. No, it was a, a connection more on a deeper logical than an emotional. I didn't collect myself. I didn't want to. I didn't want it to look emotional because I didn't want to have a letdown if it doesn't work. They're like depressed or whatever. So I really tried to have a very deep conversation without it being about me or about her. It was, of course, it was about me and about her. I don't like swear. Not wholly, but I don't think I would be able to draw mugshots. You know what I mean? I didn't so much try to focus on if this happens, then life is going to be like this or like that. I didn't get, didn't go further than where it went in my mind. Every discussion was exactly what it was. I Does that make sense? Because, yeah, because you, how many conversations did you ever have with a female who wasn't your sister or first cousin or aunt until that point? That's my question. You're having a long conversation consistently for a third time. So I had already the Ashkofa, the idea, the outlook on what I was looking for. And for me, very much someone I never gave credit for it, but he put it into my mind maybe when I was 18. He told me, when you go out on a, the show, you have to look for two things, personality and midlas. And that's my motto. It's very true. People think that the Yiddish kind has to align to a certain level. I with this, then if she has to be exactly on the same level, if I want her to dress a certain way or whatever, then she has to because I'm on that level. Of course, I want to go to our house at home, but my main thing that I was looking out for was personality and midas. So that match, I saw that she filmed Donald Smithers. I have known also because there was like a kind of like a backstory where we kind of had like a connection that we didn't know. We both volunteered for the same baby in the hospital. I mentioned earlier, my, my friend's son passed away. He was three years old when he was in the hospital. In the NICU, I, I took shifts and my wife also took shifts there because she's a cousin. So I knew, I never knew her or anything, but when it came up, the shidduch came up, I knew oh, it's that cousin that took a lot of shifts and I knew that she has either with us. And I went out to town and she had a very good personality that matches with me. So it just made sense. That date ended and you came home. And then what happened? From my end? Whichever end. Right. So from my end, I was ready. I was waiting the entire time for, for her. She said, you have to ask her if it's true. She says that she ran almost out of my I'm getting married. This is, this is amazing. It did take us a while to actually make little Chaim. There were like side complications, family things, but I think it was that week that we did the Lakhaim. We spoke a little bit before the Lakhaim and we got engaged and we spoke throughout the engagement up until okay, we're engaged for four months. The three months we spoke. And the last month you didn't speak. Last month we didn't speak. 
we met a few times during the engagement. Yeah, Brooklyn Bridge Park or, you know. You're happy with that experience. You feel like it worked for you. A little later. Yeah, I did want to bring out, we do talk about Shadokham a lot on this podcast. That is something I see that the Hasidish community does extremely well. Very different <laughs> from everyone else. It's done very well. And it sounds like there's less of a crisis in the Hasidish community than right. there is in the other. I wish people would know that they have more of a choice than they do have. Like boys and girls should know that they could choose. They could say no. But I don't see it as a huge issue where, oh, yeah, some people are in bad marriages and that's why there's almost sexual gift and it's not a bad thing, but it's definitely not a crisis. What are some things you wish other Jews knew about you, your community, about Hasidic culture that you feel like they don't know or don't get? I think people should really look into what it means to be Hasidic, that the Moshent of created Hasidus, not Rebus. Yeah, does that make sense? He created an philosophy, of not the people. And not... Um, it, it created a Hasidus a way of looking out on Yiddishkeit, not seeing all the tissue. Essentially what we have now, dynasties, that's not what he created. Quite the opposite, he told the son not to become Rebbe, and the son did take over, didn't take over. It wasn't like that the way we have it now, where one Rebbe passes and all kids become Rebbe's. That's not what he set up. It's a nice thing. I'm not, not lacking it, but I think People really don't know what Hasidus is. Hasidus is, see, this is love. That's what it is. It's loving Hashem and loving each other and accepting everyone. Basically, like, really, if you look into it, there's more to it, of course, there's levels, but like, face value, the start, the beginner, Hasidus for beginners is to, Chabad does it very well. They accept everyone, they love everyone, and they love Hashem. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Are you sad this episode is over? Well, don't be too sad because number one, you can join the WhatsApp discussion group and participate. Just email me. My email is in the show notes and I'll add you in. Next, you can rate and review the show. You can go listen to the backlog of episodes. You can also message me personally and suggest 5 million other ideas for podcasts, which sometimes is awesome and sometimes super annoying because I could only do one episode per week, but I love it anyway. So keep it up. If you'd like to support the show, you can always sponsor an episode, dedicate an episode. You can also hire K Productions for your podcast needs. And that includes business coaching for podcasts that want to monetize their podcasts, their brands. So I'll be starting that up in the next coming months after the Chagim. So stay tuned for that. I am so excited for next week's episode. I hope you are too. See you. See you.